Joining us now is the author of the book, When the Crowd Didn't Roar. It is Kevin Coward, and the book, by the way, published by Nebraska Press. Uh, Kevin, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Stan. How's everybody doing today? Uh, we're doing okay. i got to get one thing clear right away. You, you interviewed Craig Heiss for the book, but you didn't interview Stan Charles for the book. Do you care to discuss that? Well, it was obviously a glaring oversight on my part. Um, I, I think the uh, I think talking to Heisty, uh, it was so illuminating, Stan, that I almost felt I didn't have to talk to anybody else. Uh, so, uh, it, that, listen, that, that total makes, oversight, and I apologize. That makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense, <laughs> and, and an explanation that I certainly accept. Hey, <laughs> hey, it is April two thousand nineteen now. I remember when when I first heard from you that you were working on this book. I, that must be close to two years ago, and the events that transpired that led to the game where no crowd was allowed into the stadium is already just about four years ago, correct? That's correct. Um, but, you know, I, I think you, you would know uh, from the beginning stand and, and high seat too that uh, – uh, I just, from the very beginning, thought that this was uh, that that the whole scene was just crying out for a book. Um, you know, I if you go back to that, you know, that April of 2015, and you remember what a you know fraught and chaotic time it was in the city. Yep. Um, you know, first you had that uh, the tragic death of a 25 year old African American guy named uh, Freddie Gray mm-hmm. uh, from injuries suffered in police custody. And uh, that came on the heels, you guys will remember, of a number number of other, you know, well-publicized deaths of black men around the country, yep. you know, after questionable encounters with law enforcement. So you had, uh, you know, you had the death of Eric Garner in Staten Island, Michael Brown, Ferguson, Missouri. You had the death of Tamir Rice in Cleveland, Walter Scott in North Charleston, South Carolina. So I don't think anybody was surprised when Freddie Gray's death uh, ignited massive protests in Baltimore. And uh, you guys will remember that those protests were, you know, mostly peaceful until the night of April 25th, when um, demonstrators and, and bar uh, patrons clashed in the streets before that uh, Orioles-Red Sox game at Camden Yards. And, uh, you know, protesters vandalized some stores and some of the, uh, and trashed some police you said You said Red Sox. Wasn't it the White Sox? Yeah, it was the White no, Sox. it was uh, that game was the Orioles against the Red Sox. Oh, the and White Sox came into town next, right? Correct. Okay. And so, okay. I mean, so everything that I just outlined. Think about it. Uh, two days after after this is when Freddie Gray's funeral took place, and that's when all hell broke loose in the city. And we had the worst rioting Baltimore had seen since you know the death of Reverend Martin Luther King in 1968. And think about it. Less than 36 hours later. You know, with the city still feeling like it could erupt all over again, and, you know, with National Guard troops patrolling the streets, and, mm-hmm. you know, the smell of charged buildings and burned out cars in the air, and uh, tanks, we've had tanks rumbling through West Baltimore. Well, in the middle of all that, the Orioles and Chicago White Sox played a baseball game in, in lockdown Camden Yards. And, you know, as you guys know, that, that was the only game in the now 150-year history of the major leagues, ever to be played without fans. So, I don't know. To me, guys, it just made it made perfect sense to write a book about that that incredible time in the city's history. One of the most uh, glaring things that stood out to me was being a reporter covering the, both of those games with the White Sox and the the game that was uh, fanless, if you will. Yeah. 
they're telling us in the eighth inning, don't leave the ballpark. Right. You know, and then we get the okay a little later on, maybe about, you know, toward the bottom of the ninth inning. Okay, it's okay to leave the ballpark now. So they didn't want anybody there the day before that, that had attended that game to leave the ballpark. And, I mean, that's how bad it was. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. I think, you know, there's this, I don't know whether you guys have sensed it, but there's almost this little bit of revisionist history going on. And you hear it from certain people, certain city council members that I spoke to and and, 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 and a few of the media that covered that game. And they say, you know, it wasn't that bad back then. You know, didn't the... You know, didn't the city sort of overreact to all the Freddie Gray unrest? And didn't the police department sort of overreact? And, and you know, I'll tell you something. From doing all the research that I've done, from talking to all the people who covered the game, the guys who played in that, the, the players on the White Sox and, and Orioles who played in that game, no, this was a very dangerous time in the city. And, uh, you know, the idea that the Orioles would play this game behind locked gates, don't forget, guys, when they agreed to do this, that freed up about four or five dozen Baltimore City policemen who normally are assigned to Camden Yards for a ball game, mm-hmm. freed them up to go to other parts of the city that were still super tense and, uh, and, and turbulent. So, you know, it was, uh, I think the Orioles made the right decision in conjunction with Major League Baseball, Mayor's Office, the police department. I thought Peter Angelos uh, really did stepped up. He made it clear from the very beginning, the owner of the Orioles made it clear that the, the city's plight and the plight of its residents was on the club's mind. And they, you know, they do whatever it took uh, to, to whether they played the ball game or not was unimportant. The main thing was the city and the plight of its citizens. We're talking with Kevin Coward, his new book, a Nebraska press uh, publication, When the Crowd Didn't Roar, is now available uh, Kevin, I've got to jump forward from the events that led to the book till now. Has the city, has the baseball team, forget the city, I know the answer to that. There's been tons of businesses that have gone out of, out of business since the events back then. Uh, but has the ball club and the, the, the feeling of safety that fans have coming from the suburbs into the city has that ever gotten back to normal in your estimation? And I'm I'm guessing that's not really a big part of the book. Well, it's part of the book, uh, maybe not a huge part, but but I think the answer is that that, that there's a, uh, still a ton of fans, uh, particularly from out of town, yep. uh, from the counties, from uh, from Virginia, from Pennsylvania, who are leery about going into the city. They're, they still are, even for a baseball game. I mean, to me, guys, there's no more beautiful setting uh, for a baseball game in the country than Camden Yards. And the idea that four years later we still have people who are, you know, a little leery about going down there. They still, even though there's so many other things to do down there, there's beautiful Inner Harbor, there's restaurants, bars, hotels. It's a great place. But, yeah, no, I I think the effect is lingering. And uh, the city is trying to do something about it, but... Let's face it, guys. In those four years, the fortunes of the city have also declined. Also, they, so, they've taken real a tough big time tumble. for Baltimore, yep. and I think the Orioles are still feeling that. Tell me how the book. I mean, what, when exactly was it released? Was it about a week ago? Monday. We had the launch event at the Ivy Bookshop on uh, Falls Road. Stand great event. Yeah, uh, well attended. Uh, so yeah, it's out now. It can uh, uh, be purchased anywhere online. Uh, 
any bookstore. Uh, so that was the rollout on Monday. Now, when you write a book, obviously you want its largest possible audience. This this is a book that's got an audience, I feel, as a sports book and a sociology book, really, a sociology case study. Uh, I think it's got a wider appeal than just Baltimore. Is Are you finding that early in the game? Yeah, uh, so far, uh, I'm getting media requests from around the country and uh, doing some some radio shows similar to yours. Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, <clears throat> you know, to be honest with you, I always thought it would do well in Baltimore, mm-hmm. obviously, because of the Baltimore hook. But um, but I hope it's interesting to other folks. And as you said, Stan, it's not just a baseball book. I describe it as a non-baseball baseball book. Yeah. And, and people, I think, who are curious about the workings of the city – uh, who are curious about what that time was like in, during the Freddie Gray unrest, I think they'll, uh, you know, I hope anyway, that they'll uh, take a look at the book, and I hope they'll like it too. Uh, one of the things that I remember specifically about sitting in the, and, and what made the game being played uh, unique in itself is just the fact that, one, obviously no crowd in the stands, and 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 security would not even let us go down into the lower bowl. The only people that were allowed in the lower bowl uh, were photographers, but they didn't want us at all in the lower bowl. Uh, and, uh, you know, we're sitting there covering the game, and Chris Davis, I think it was, that hit, that hit a home run uh, in that game. And you hear Gary Thorne. It's so quiet in the ballpark. You hear Gary Thorne from the press box, from the broadcast booths up above us, mm-hmm. one floor above us. You hear Gary Thorne plainly, way back, goodbye, home run. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, yeah. that was very – I mean, we're all looking around at each other. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, that was Gary on the call. <laughs> Yeah, I tell you, the thing about it, a thing you'll discover about reading the book, guys, is that this game was not fun for anyone on the Orioles or the White Sox. You know, um, some members of both teams, you know, Buck Showalter, uh, manager of the Orioles at the time, and uh, Adam Eaton, outfielder for the White Sox, they were among a, a small group that said, hey, maybe, you know, playing a game without fans will be sort of like, you know, like the old Sandlot right, uh, game. Right. You know, where you just, you know, you throw out the bats and balls and gloves and you play ball, everybody has fun, you go home for dinner. But it wasn't anything like that. Um, Heisty, as you were describing, without anybody in the stands, the the silence was eerie and it was unnerving. And the players in both dugouts were practically whispering to each other throughout the game because it felt like you were playing ball in the chapel. And and you didn't want any of the players from either bench – overheard saying something they're not supposed to say because the crowd mics obviously picked up everything, which was nothing because the stands were empty. Absolutely. And, you know, the other thing that a lot of people don't think about is that, you know, it was so quiet in that ballpark, guys, that the players in the field, they couldn't get a handle on how hard balls were hit. Because every ball that came off the bat sounded like a rocket shot, you know, <laughs> mm-hmm. like it would like it would hit the warehouse on the fly instead of just being like you know a routine single to right. So they couldn't get and and you you uh, see you talked about the uh, Chris Davis three run homer. I mean, you know, the crack of the bat for that was so loud it just seemed to reverberate around the stadium for five minutes. 
So it was an eerie, uncomfortable setting for these guys. And, you know, the White Sox were about ready to start a three-game series the next night in Minnesota. They played that game. They played the, the, the game against the Orioles like they just couldn't wait to get out of here, get to the get to the airport, get on the flight, go to Minnesota. So it's not a good game, not a not a fun game for, for players on either team, that's for sure. The Orioles jumped out to a big lead in that game, didn't they? Yeah, they did. So, uh, uh, you know, uh, Chris Davis hits this three-run homer. That was the last home nothing. run. I think that was the last home run he ever hit yeah, for the Orioles. I think it might have been. <laughs> I, I, I'm telling you, I think it might. I feel so bad for that guy. Maybe they should go back to playing games without fans. And then Chris could. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, bring that up with the Orioles. Some would argue the second half of last year they did. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. Uh, but, no, they jumped out. So the Orioles, you may remember, guys, they were facing uh, uh, Jeff Samarja. Yeah. That's right. Uh, it was Jeff Samarja, uh, yep. Overpowering uh, pitcher, 98, uh, could easily touch 98 on the gun. But they jump out to that 4 nothing lead with uh, Chris Davis's three-run homer. And by the end of that inning, it's 6 nothing. And you know what? For all intents and purposes, the uh, the White Sox threw it in, and uh, and the Orioles cruised to an easy win. And here's another thing, guys: that game played in two hours and three minutes. Yeah, yeah. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. When was the last time we had a game like that? I mean, now every game is a three and a half hour uh, slug uh, slog fest to me. And miss and um, miss two o two. Uh, the opener of Camden Yards, pitched by Rick Scutcliffe by one minute. One yeah. minute. Interesting. Right. And look look how many years ago that was. Yeah. So that tells Ke- you a little something about pace of play. Ke- Kevin, you mentioned uh, you've gotten a lot of requests out of town, you know, to do media stuff. Uh, what do you got in the way of book signings locally here? Do you have a few lined up in addition to Ivy? Yeah, we definitely do. We got a bunch of them, Stan. Uh, Monday, we at seven thirty, we'll be at Greedy Reads in uh, Fells Point, a, a relatively new bookstore. Uh, I'll be at the Pikesville Barnes and Noble the following Thursday, and we're doing a lot of library stuff, <clears throat> library signings, and other Barnes and Nobles around the area. I'm so. gonna I'm gonna have to get a copy of this as soon as I can because what You're I You're gonna be getting a copy. Well, no, I well, well, well what I want to do though is because Adam Eaton played in that game, I want to get him a copy of this book as well, uh, since I see Adam all the time covering the Nationals. Right, yeah, we'll, we'll, make well that you, you, yeah. you know what was kind of odd about that? Uh, I I tried to approach Adam about helping uh, with the project. Yeah, and he just yeah, he didn't want to do it. And you know, I, I I understand that for a lot of these guys, it was just again an uncomfortable game. They weren't crazy about playing it, and they probably didn't want to revisit any memories from that day. Who? Uh, who were you able to get? Did you get Showalter? Did you? Get- oh yeah, yeah. So the Orioles were terrific, guys. And they, you know, initially when I approached them, I, I approached Greg Bader, you guys know, vice uh, sure. uh, vice president of communications and marketing. Um, and the first thing he told me when I made my pitch to him was, you know, we just turned down ESPN for something like that. Right. So I'm looking at him. I said, oh, my gosh. I mean, here he, the, the project's going up in flames. I've been here right. five minutes. Right. But um, but I think ESPN was approaching the Orioles on on a different uh, they had a different tack they wanted to take with with the game, uh, but but uh, Greg was terrific and uh, the, the Orioles were were great guys. Uh, the guys that I relied on the most were and they're all gone now. So that shows you what happens when you cooperate with me for a book. <laughs> 
Buck Showalter gone, Adam Jones gone, uh, Zach Britton gone, Caleb Joseph gone, Ubaldo Jimenez gone. And the only guy left is Chris Davis. Yeah. And we know what happened to his career. Yes, 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 <laughs> so, we do. How about, uh, the they, how about the White Sox? Was Their manager was probably Robin Ventura, right? It was. And you know what, guys? From the very beginning, uh, I relied on the Chicago, uh, uh, Chicago papers okay, the media. Uh, and Chicago writers for this game. I, I, when I was thinking about how I was going to present this book, it was going to be a, a Baltimore-centric look, mm-hmm. and I was going to concentrate on the Oriole players. Because you got to remember, the White Sox got here in the middle of all this yep. stuff happening, and they were basically holed up in their hotel room for three days. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So, so to me, the more interesting story was always from the Orioles' perspective. Did you ever? Did you get to talk to any political uh, figures? I mean, the mayor or the or the uh, governor? Oh, yes. Yep. Yep. Uh, uh, mayor Stephanie Rawlings Blake, the mayor of Baltimore at the time, declined to help. Uh, but I talked to many, uh, many of the city council people. Uh, I talked to. Uh, Kwesi Mfume, mm-hmm. uh, former Maryland congressman and former NAACP president. Um, yeah, I talked to a lot of uh, the uh, uh, police department officials. Um, as you see in the acknowledgments for the book, I, I talked to probably everybody that I could think of who was part of that game, except Stan Charles. All right, except Stan Charles. We appreciate uh, Kevin. Yeah, we, but look uh, at I'm, all of those people that you did talk to. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but the good news is I'm not gone anywhere. Huh? I haven't right. gone anywhere. Yeah, Ke- Kevin exactly. was we're, looking out for we're, me. We're painfully aware of this, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Coward is our guest. The book is When the Crowd Didn't Roar. And uh, Kevin, first, I got to ask you before we let you go. You were at that game, weren't you? I was not. You I were not. Didn't cover, I didn't cover the game. I was downtown, Stan, but not at that game. All right. When, um, how soon after the game did you say, this is a, this is a book? Was it within a week, two weeks, or I w- two months? I would, say, I would say within a couple of months, yeah. uh, Stan. I, was, uh, I, I just couldn't believe it. You know, and, and I've been telling people, I'm amazed, and still am amazed, that I'm the only guy who wrote a book about this. Yeah. Because, honestly, I thought people, I thought writers would be parachuting in from all over the place right. to write about this. Right. Well, Because it, it just, there's never been, you know, guys, in there's never been in pro hockey, basketball, football, baseball, never been a game played without fans except for that game in Baltimore in April of 2015. It's an amazing thing. Fascinating. Beyond the really center fast. field gates, uh, behind the bullpen, okay, right where the monuments are now, the, the statues. Right. A whole group of about 60, 70 fans. Yeah, all I remember gathered, that outside okay, the right? stadium. Yep. And they all yelled, oh, during the national anthem. And that's one of the other things that I take yep. away yep. from that. Just to, the eeriness, as Kevin talks about, of just how strange it was to be in the ballpark that day. All right. We appreciate your coming on. We know you got to get to a, a book show, I think, uh, in Annapolis. Yeah, Annapolis Book Festival. I'll uh, I'll be speaking there at 1 o'clock, guys. Where, where is that exactly? That's at the Key School in Annapolis, a, a beautiful uh, private school in Annapolis. And, books, and uh, they and, do a great job with this book festival. And books will be available. The book will be available there, correct? I'm not sure about that. I'm, I, you know, something that I'm not positive about that. I don't know whether it's just a talk or whether okay. it'll be a book signing too, Stan. All right. Well, we'll look forward to seeing you down the road, and uh, maybe in a, a month or so, or around Father's Day. 
let's get you back on the show and, and plug it again. All right? I'll be, be happy to do it, guys. All right. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Thanks. Take All care. Right, there you have it. Kevin Coward, uh, formerly the Baltimore Sun, has become a prolific book writer.